This morning I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 22 verses 7 to 13. Today I want to speak to you on the topic of proper preparation. Luke chapter 22, I'll begin reading at verse 7, read through verse 13. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 22, let's begin at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go, make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, realizing that you are king. You are the giver of eternal life. And now, Lord, we pray that you will open up this scripture. Help us to see, help us to hear, help us to understand Help us to follow by faith and help us to prepare adequately for the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Finally, Jesus had told the disciples to do something that they knew how to do. Finally, he had given an instruction that they actually could follow. Finally, he had said something that they completely understood. For they knew exactly what was meant when Jesus said to the disciples, go make preparation for the Passover. The Passover is something that they had been observing since childhood. They knew how it was supposed to go. Many times in the gospel story, the disciples are portrayed as a few fries short of a happy meal. Their elevator of understanding doesn't quite go to the top floor. Oftentimes, not all the pistons are firing. They don't usually understand what Jesus is teaching. They sometimes miss the point of the parable or the purpose of his coming or the power of the miracle. But on this day, they knew exactly what Jesus meant. He said, go make preparation for the Passover. Peter and John knew precisely what that entailed because they had been doing this for years. It's important to note that the city of Jerusalem would have been stuffed with individuals. For the Passover was the highest holiday on the Jewish calendar. Everybody who was anybody came to Jerusalem for this sacred week to remember how God had delivered their forefathers from Egyptian captivity. Every devout Jew knew the story. They knew the significance of the meal. They understood the setup. They knew how everything was supposed to go. Jesus and the disciples were faithful Jews. They had come to the sacred city of Jerusalem to remember and to celebrate Passover. All these disciples could recount with vivid clarity the ten plagues that God sent upon Egypt, with each one growing in its intensity until the last plague that was sent, the the killing of the firstborn among men and animals. They knew the story. 
They remembered how they had been told the story by their forefathers. For they said that the word of God was given to Moses. And Moses gave it to the people of the Lord. Saying in preparation for this night. You ought to take a perfect lamb. Without spot, blemish or defect. Kill it. Take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your house. And then use that lamb and and prepare a meal of roasted lamb and bitter herbs, bread and wine. And Moses told the people that on this night you eat with haste because the angel of death will come through all of Egypt. And God promises that that angel will pass over any house that has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And sure enough, God made good on his promise The angel of death did come through that ancient night so long ago and the shriek of death rose uh, even to Pharaoh and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, summoned them and said, get out of here, you and God's people, get out of my nation. God had delivered his children from captivity and every year The Jewish people remember that story. Every year they came to celebrate. The disciples knew that story. They could recount it with vivid clarity and accurate details. They knew the story. When Jesus said, go make preparation for the Passover, they knew exactly what he meant. It was never a question of, are we going to observe the Passover? The only legitimate question was, where are we going to observe the Passover? There was no debate, there was no discussion, there was no denial. Jesus and the disciples had come to observe the Passover. That's a significant question of where are we going to observe the Passover. It's significant because the numbers are staggering. Historians tell us that in first century Jerusalem, the population was about 20,000 individuals. That was a big city back then. But Jewish historians say that during Passover week, that the population of Jerusalem and the surrounding vicinity would swell to 2.5 million individuals. From 20,000 to 2.5 million individuals. Think about where are all those people going to stay? Think about the, the space needed, the upper rooms, the extra rooms, the, um, the, the lofts or the inns or the space for tents to be set up. Think about all the space that was needed. And in those days, space was a premium. But also consider this, that in order to have the Passover, every family had to have a slain lamb. It had to be sacrificed in a very sacred way. If the average family was about 10 individuals, some families were larger, some families may be smaller, but if it was about 10 individuals and 2.5 million were in the city, that means that 250,000 slain lambs were needed for the Passover. That's a lot of animals. The temple must have looked and sounded and smelled more like a stockyard than a sanctuary. Because on that day when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, not only for the nation, but also for the families, on that day, oh, can you imagine the sounds and the sight and the smell of all those animals? This was a tall task, yet the disciples were up for it. They knew what it would mean to have to go make preparation for the Passover. 
They knew they would have to hustle their way through the large crowd. I mean, the city streets are stuffed. They, they would have to go to the temple complex. They would have to purchase a, a lamb that had been slaughtered sufficiently for sacrifice. They'd have to go to the marketplace and purchase all the bitter herbs and get enough bread and get enough wine for the meal. And they asked Jesus, where do you want us to take all of this? And Jesus, who is always portrayed in Luke's gospel, as having everything under control. So let me tell you what's going to happen before it even takes place. You're going to go into the village. You'll enter the city. You'll find a servant there carrying a jar of water. You follow him to the house he enters and you enter behind him. You go to the owner of the house and ask him, where do you want the teacher to make preparation for the Passover? He'll show you a large upper room that's already fully furnished. You go there and make preparation. Luke always portrays Jesus with a sovereign swag. He's cool, calm, and collected. He never gets uptight. He never gets his tail feathers ruffled. Jesus always knows what's going to happen before it even takes place. So he says in our passage, this is precisely what's going to happen. And the disciples found it just as Jesus had foretold. They went into the sacred city. There was a man, a servant, carrying a jar of water. They followed him to the house, entered the house, said to the owner of the house, uh, where is the room that the master is to use for the night? He took him up to the upper room, and everything was there fully furnished. For it to say that it's fully furnished, what that literally means is that that room already had sufficient cushions and a table. But still the disciples had some work to do. I mean, they had to prepare the room, and they knew that the room had to be rid of any yeast because on this night only unleavened bread could be consumed. They knew that how the table was to be arranged. They knew how the meat was to be prepared. They knew how it was to be placed on that 18-inch tall table because uh, they understood how Jesus wanted it. For This is not the first time they observed the Passover with Jesus. They knew how the meal was supposed to go, uh, where the meat was to be placed, where the stack of unleavened bread, the matzah, was to be placed, how the bitter herbs were to be uh, uh, prepared and made and placed on the table, where the wine was to sit. They knew how everything was to be arranged, how the cushions were to go around the table so all the disciples could could recline at the table with their feet extended behind them. They could lean on one elbow and with their right hand reach on the table and eat. They knew how it was supposed to go. These disciples have been preparing a table like this for their father, their grandfather, maybe even their great-grandfather in years past. And they had prepared it for Jesus before. This is about the third time they've had Passover with the master. So they went and made preparation. Finally, finally, after three long years, Jesus gives them an assignment and they know how to do it. Praise the Lord. Finally, they know what to do. And they go and make preparation. You and I come to this table this morning. Some of us, uh, we've been here before. We know the significance of the table. We, we know the story behind it. We know the setup. We know how this table is to be arranged. We know that the bread and the cup of this table find its origin at the Passover table. Because it was on that night that Jesus took bread. He broke it and said, this is my body. Now, 
in years past, uh, whoever was leading the Passover, they would always take the bread and they would break it and they would give it out. But nobody had ever said, this is my body. Jesus had never said that before, before this night. None of their dads, none of their grandfathers, nobody had ever said that. You know, on this night, Jesus paints some pictures that are amazing. He takes that middle piece of matzah. There would have been a stack of three pieces of bread. Jesus took the middle piece, symbolic of his identity in the Trinity, that, that middle piece of bread, he breaks it. In Jewish fashion, they would have wrapped some of that bread in a linen cloth, a linen napkin. They would have hidden it only to bring it back out again at the end of the meal. It's when Jesus brings it back out at the end of the meal that he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. He's identifying himself as that middle piece of matzah that's broken and wrapped in linen cloth, hidden away, only to come back again. He identifies himself as that piece of bread. In the meal, customarily, there were about four cups of wine that would have been consumed. And Jesus speaks an interesting commentary when he gets to the third cup of wine, traditionally called the cup of redemption. And Jesus says, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for you. Nobody ever said that before. Are you serious? You're identifying yourself with redemption? You're identifying yourself as the giver of a new covenant with God's people? Nobody had ever spoken that before. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, these disciples were awestruck. You could have picked them up off the floor. Nobody had ever said that before. Yet Jesus says it. When they came in, they were very familiar. I mean, they could have led the meal with or without Jesus. I mean, they were so familiar with how everything was supposed to go with the story and the details and the eating of the meal and when this was to happen and that was to happen. They could have done it with or without Jesus. Yet Jesus, <laughs> he throws a curveball and they're awestruck. They came in familiar. They're left awestruck. You come in today, you see this table. You may be as familiar with this table as the disciples were with Passover. You know the story. You know the significance of the bread and the cup. You know the setup. You know how it's supposed to go. You know where the preacher's supposed to stand. You know how the deacons are supposed to serve. You know how the music is to be played. You know that the bread goes out first. We all wait on it. Then we all take it together. And then we come back and do the cup and we pass that out. And then we take that together. I mean, you know how it goes. If you do the math, you've probably observed this table and had the cup and, and the bread maybe 457 times in your life before. You know how it goes. You're familiar with this. Can I tell you something that I've learned? I've learned that sometimes familiarity can stifle astonishment. Sometimes we can be so familiar that we completely miss it. And today, whether this is your first time or your 537th time coming to this table, may you be awestruck. May you come to this table completely humbled and completely astonished. Humbled and astonished that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. 
humbled and astonished that he who knew no sin became sin for us, humbled and astonished that anyone who believes will not perish but have everlasting life, humbled and astonished that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, humbled and astonished that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, humbled and astonished that Jesus loves you in spite of you, humbled and astonished that Jesus likes me even when I don't like me, Humbled and astonished that our past is cleansed and our present is clear and our future is confirmed in Christ. May the last thing you do today is to come with a sense of familiarity and you take that bread and you choke it down and you take that cup and you douse it down and then you walk out with a, uh, just, a, just a, a nothing kind of experience. This morning, may you be awestruck. Today, may you come humbled and astonished. Listen, I know that Jesus is with us every time we gather in a profound, magnificent way. But will you also agree with me that today, that whenever the faith family gathers around the table of God, that the presence of Christ is here in a way that is really indescribable? that he ministers to us in a way because he is the host of the table. He invites us to come. He takes a seat right beside you and ministers to you as you take him in your life by faith. We do not come to this service as if it's a memorial service of a dead guy. We come to this service and it's a worship service. Because even though Jesus was broken for us, and even though Jesus shed his blood on our behalf, and even though Jesus took the whipping that we deserved, and even though Jesus was crucified on a cross like a criminal, and even though Jesus, his dead body was placed in a borrowed tomb, and even though the stone was rolled in front of it, on the third day, Jesus rose with all power and healing in his hands. So I want to tell you that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because that guy lives. So don't you dare come to this table with a sense of I know how this works. I know how this goes. You come today all struck at the reality that God loves you. Even when you don't even like yourself, God loves you with a love that never gives up, a love that is always and forever, a love that is eternal, and he has pursued you, you, me of all people. He has pursued us. And he's provided not just a way, but the way for us to be declared right in his sight. For we must believe that Jesus died in our place, that he took our punishment, that he was crushed for us. 
and he took what we deserved. He died our death. And on the third day, he rose to give us life. And the way you and I go from death unto life, from no faith to faith, is simply by trusting in Jesus Christ and believing that this is not a fable, but this is a fact. So if you're a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to this table. And I, I want you just to have a little sanctified spell right there in your sacred sanctuary spot. And I want you to be awestruck at who God is and how much he loves you. And you come humbled and astonished that God cares for you. So if you're a baptized believer, come to the table.